Over the years, End Time has received so many awesome questions about Bible prophecy. Well, on today's edition of the End Time Show, I will answer a few new questions that many of you may have never heard before. And these questions are so good and require so much detail that I only have 10 questions and it will require the entire hour to answer them. So stay tuned for another exciting program. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Dave Robbins with End Time Ministries. I do thank you for joining me on this edition of the End Time Show. Wow, have I got a show for you today. A, a lot of times in a Bible study situation, the Bible study really starts when the lesson is over and people start asking questions. That's really how people learn a lot of times. And so well, I've got so many good questions over the years that I wanted to share some of the new ones that I have received that maybe some of you have never heard before uh, in an effort to help instruct you on some of these Bible prophecies. So let's just dive right off into this and see how many we can get done today. Question number one, in the prophesied World War III, this would be Revelation 9, 13 through 21, who will be the horseman that can man an army of 200,000, 1,000 or 200 million? Or would this be a total of all the armies combined together that will be involved in World War III? Well, of course, Revelation 9, I'm going to stick to verses 14 through 16. It says this, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, now you know this is the sixth trumpet in the book of Revelation, loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates, and the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour a day, a month, and a year, for to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000, and I heard the number of them. Now, it's very important that we understand that it's talking about an army here. And I'm going to get into that in great detail in just a moment, but first let me mention First Cup Coffee. You know, you can imagine that we're essentially working around the clock to keep up with the news and we're certainly energized and motivated by our God-given purpose, but man, it sure does help to have a good cup of coffee in the morning, right? Well, we go to First Cup Coffee upstairs, and they're a Christian-owned Patriot Coffee Company right here in the great state of Texas. They've got many different roasts to choose from. So go to firstcup.com, use code ENDTIME to get 10% off. If you subscribe, they'll give you an additional 10% off. Go to firstcup.com, use code ENDTIME to get 10% off today. Now, we're talking about an army here in the Sixth Trumpet War. According to the prophecy, the war will start in the Euphrates River region and then spread out around the world. Before it ends, many armies certainly will be involved. However, Revelation 9.16 in the King James Version, the New King James Version, and the New Living Translation, it foretells an army of 200 million that will participate in this war. Now, there is currently not, an, not a nation that has a 200 million um, active soldiers. However, you remember back when Russia began its full-scale military invasion into Ukraine, the Ukrainian government announced that all Ukrainian men 
ages 18 to 60 would be barred from leaving the country because at that point it was all hands on deck to fight the Russians. So if we were to combine the population of both, you know, when we look back at that, we looked at the combination of uh, the population of Russia and Ukraine, the total population, it would only have amounted to about 190 million. Some people speculated this was World War III, and so, but it would make it impossible for one of them to field an army of 200 million soldiers, right? However, there are some nations that can do that. In October, back in, uh, I think it was 1998, Colonel Larry M. Wurzel, he prepared a report titled China's Military Potential for the Strategic Studies Institute of the U.S. Army War College. In that report, Mr. Wurzel stated, China's standing armed force of some 2.8 million active soldiers in uniform is the largest military force in the world. Approximately 1 million reservists and some about 15 million militia backed them up. But with a population of over 1.2 billion people, China also has a potential manpower of another 200 million males fit for military service available at any time. In addition to its wealth of manpower, China is a nuclear power. Now, it's kind of, it, you know, it seems like, kind of like a coincidence that he mentioned the exact same number that the Bible says uh, there's going to be a 200 million man army in World War III. So does that mean conclusively that China is going to be part of the end, this end time war? Well, it is highly likely. However, there are two other entities that could actually field an army of 200 million soldiers. The Islamic world has a population of approximately 1.9 billion, and India has a population of 1.35 billion. So any of these entities could, feel, could fulfill this prophecy. And we definitely must consider the Islamic faction because the, the war, according to scripture, emanates from the Euphrates River, which is at this time almost 100% Islamic controlled. Furthermore, we can be very sure that the United States is going to be involved in this war. Uh, America currently has thousands of troops stationed in the Euphrates River region, and it also has the nuclear firepower to kill 2.7 billion people. You know, it's, this is one of the prophecies I, re I really don't even like to talk about because when you talk about a, a third of the world's population being destroyed, ugh, I just, it gets me sick to my stomach, but it's, it's very prophetic. It's going to happen. Could the current conflict between Israel and Hamas and the, the regional situation with Iran and Hezbollah, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, the, the Houthis down in Yemen, could this be the beginning of that war? I mean, it's possible, but only time will tell. But I know that our, the Iran belief system is not going away because they believe in Mahdiism, that they've got this like a savior figure that's going to come and bring justice to the world when he comes and they're trying to prepare the way for the Mahdi, the entrance of the Mahdi, the reappearance of the Mahdi, I should say. And they need to get rid of Israel and drive the United States out of the Middle East uh, to hurry the coming of the Mahdi. So that's their belief system. That's what drives them. That's what drives the uh, Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps. 
And they're the ones that are setting up the proxies around Israel and the ring of fire. And so a lot of that plays into it. Now, I'm just going to move from question to question here. Let me mention Birch Gold really quick because um, when we talk about different things going on in the world, the world government enthusiast, and we've reported on this just hundreds of times because the world is moving straight into this. They want to impose these central bank digital currencies and digital IDs on their respective populations. It's happening all around the world. Just about every nation is moving towards this right now. And they could even allow officials to prohibit you from purchasing certain products and even freeze accounts. And it's giving, it'll give governments more access to your finances and control. So there are some concerned Americans that are diversifying their assets into physical gold with the help of Birch Gold Group. If you want a physical asset held in like a, a tax-sheltered retirement account, you can go to birchgold.com slash endtime to get your free info kit on gold. And if you have an, like a, let's say an IRA or a 401k, maybe from a previous employer or something that's just kind of laying around gathering dust, Birch Gold can help you convert that into an IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. I just saw today where gold, the price of gold is at an all-time high. Just, I just read the article just before I come on the radio today. So go to birchgold.com, and they said there's, that said it's not done yet, it's still going to rise. That's what they're for, the forecasts are saying. So go to birchgold.com slash endtime, claim your free info kit on gold, because if digital currency becomes a reality for all, you may wish you had some gold to fall back on. Now, let me go to question number two here because some of these, they, these were just some great questions. And again, I don't think I've covered some of them on the end time program today. So here's the next question. In Revelation chapters two and three, John was writing messages to the seven churches in Asia Minor there. Much of the messages still ring true in our churches today. Are the messages to the seven churches prophetic, and are they referring to the church ages? I get this question quite a bit, but I don't know if I've ever answered it on the program today, so or ever. So we have to go to Revelation 19. You've got to understand this, to understand the segmentation of the book of Revelation. The, in Revelation 1.19, it's a very, very key scripture. John, uh, the, the, John was told to write, in, in the book of Revelation, I want you to write the things which you have seen. That's chapter 1. Write the things which you have, which are, and that's chapters 2 and 3, and then things which will be hereafter. And that, is the, that begins the prophetic portion of the book of Revelation, which is chapter 4 all the way through chapter 22. So the messages the, 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 that are devoted to the seven churches written by John are contained in chapters 2 and 3. Now, we've got to focus on them because there were conditions in the churches during John's time that are very much like conditions that we deal with in the church today. And if you look at this, you're going to hear straight from um, the mouth of Jesus Christ. I mean, how he looked at these churches and what his opinion of these churches really was. This is the one uh, 
That's giving the vision to John, right? So the apostle John was ministering among the seven churches of Asia when he was arrested by the Roman emperor Domitian and he, then he was exiled out on the Isle of Patmos. So while John was on the Isle of Patmos, the Bible says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. God gave him messages to each of these seven churches. And he told John to write the messages down, deliver them to the seven churches, and God had some things that he wanted to specifically say to each of these churches so they could understand their spiritual position from his vantage point. Well, John then, when John was um, brought out off of exile, well, he then delivered the messages to each of those churches after he was released around, would have been 96 AD. So, the question is, do, do these seven churches equal the seven church ages? You know, some have taught that these seven churches of Revelation 2 and 3, that they are prophetic of seven church ages that would exist from the time of the early church all the way to the, the uh, second coming of Jesus Christ. Supposedly, these seven messages represent the conditions of the Christian church during the different seven church ages from the first church era to the last day era. Well, here's the question. Do the seven churches represent seven church ages? Well, you got to remember the segmentation that I talked about earlier. Chapters 1 through 3 of Revelation contains the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which will be hereafter. That's Revelation 1.19 again. Very, very key scripture when you're trying to figure out the entire book of Revelation. So the prophetic portion of Revelation doesn't begin until chapter 4.1. Come up hither and I'll show you things that will be hereafter. So there is no basis for believing that the churches of Asia Minor symbolized seven church ages. However, it certainly is true the conditions of, the, of these churches could apply to many of our churches today, right? I mean, for example, Jesus said to the Ephesian church, you have left your first love. Well, could that be said of many churches today? Well, certainly. To the church of Sardis, Jesus said, thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Well, this would certainly be true of many churches today. So the messages to the seven churches, they're not prophetic, but they are uh, profitable for analyzing the spiritual conditions of churches and hearing the steps needed to cure those conditions, right? But then we also have to look at the things which are on the earth back then 2,000 years ago. The message of the seven churches dealt with conditions in those churches during John's day around um, 95, 96 AD. In the messages to the seven churches, Jesus Christ looked down and he saw the spiritual condition of those churches. And he commended them for the things that they were doing right but then, just like throughout the New Testament, 
they were reproved for things that they were, they were doing wrong, right? Now, while we study these things, um, these different messages, we have to ask ourselves, if Jesus Christ sent a message to us today, what would he say? This is what he was doing to those churches. I mean, how would he evaluate our church? And this is very, very important for every one of us to consider, right? I mean, you need to look at your own church. Does your church align up with Scripture? If your church is doing things that are diametrically opposed to the Word of God, you might have to find another church. You say, well, I'm going to stay and help try to bring them back. That's pretty hard to do. You better find a church that believes and teaches the Bible line upon line, precept upon precept, because that's the only book that has the words to eternal life. And if I'm going to make it into eternity with the Lord, then I've got to align my life up with that book. So I'm not going to be part of an organization that is doing things that's diametrically opposed to the Word of God. Now, that's what we're talking here, the churches, God's message to these churches. If he was to send a message to your church today, what would he say? So each of these messages that in the letters that John wrote to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, they, they certainly apply to us in one way or another, right? I mean, it, it will be helpful for us to listen to what God was said to those churches because he would probably say some of the same, the same thing to some of our churches and to us personally today. So we need to certainly glean from that. So let's, let's look at a, um, maybe a summary for some, each of these, some of these messages that God has to the church. After each message, God gave the same instruction to each church. After he told them what they were doing right and what they were doing wrong, he would then say, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. So God would give the same instructions to you and me today. He would say to us, hey, I want to talk to you about something, but he that hath an ear, let him hear. And you don't ever want to close off that voice. That, I mean, not everyone has an ear to hear, number one. Some people, they're just trying to push God out of society. They don't want to hear God's message, right? I want to do what I want to do. I don't want God talking to me. Well, that's a dangerous position when the rapture happens, right? To those of us who love Jesus Christ, we want to please him. I, I, I worship him. He died for me on Calvary. He purchased a plan of salvation that's going to get me to spend eternity with him. So we need to hear the messages sent by God. And we also need to know what to do in response to those messages. The, the, the admonitions given to the churches are as important today as they were 2,000 years ago. Okay? So it's very, very important when we're talking about these things. It's not, it was, they, the, the letters were written to the churches 2,000 years ago, but they're not prophetic as the church ages. Okay? Now, We'll get to question three. Let me mention Ready Pantry really quick. You know, as Americans, we want to believe that, uh, especially with everything going on with COP28 and everything and what they're trying to demonize our farmers and fossil fuels and everything, we want to believe that grocery stores are always going to be there, that we're going to be able to go buy meat and not some kind of synthetic beef and stuff like that. 
But as we've seen over the last few years, the supply chains can, uh, can collapse, food supplies can diminish. So we've got to pray for the best, but we've got to prepare for the worst, right? So what if there was a way to have an affordable, like a three, six, nine, 12 month emergency supply of food? Well, there is. Readypantry.com slash endtime offers amazing 25 year shelf stable food. And you can get breakfast, lunch, dinners, even desserts, and not to mention the peace of mind you get knowing that you've got, should something happen to maybe a grocery stores where everybody's bombarded in a crisis, you've got a, an emergency supply of food. Even if it's just a few months, there's something about a peace of mind with that. So Ready Pantry, they're an American-based company, and they, they, the products are all sourced right here in America. So there, there are many long-term food storage companies on the internet. They're selling products that have been sitting on their warehouse shelves for years. Ready Pantry does not do that. They deliver the freshest products within a couple months right to your home. So Ready Pantry, they offer discounts up to 20% off for these three to 12 month supplies. Go to readypantry.com slash endtime, use code endtime, and you can save an additional 10% off on your order and you never pay shipping. So, and you can also um, stock your pantry with buy now, pay later options that are available at the checkout by going to readypantry.com slash endtime. Okay, right back to the questions. Question number three. This was a really good question, and I, to my knowledge, we've never answered this before on the end of the age show, the the um, understanding the end time, understanding the end time, or um, the politics and religion. To my knowledge, at, at least for the last ten or fifteen years, I've been involved with it. So here's a question. What about those that, and this is, this is in chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation, that's why I put it here. What about those that say they are Jews and are not? Have you ever wondered about that? And the, the question says, are there people on the earth today that claim to be Jews and are not? For instance, the Rothschilds, uh, George Soros, Henry Kissinger, uh, the Rockefeller, Zelensky. They all have claimed to be Jews, and even most of Joe Biden's cabinet claimed to be Jews. So it is what was talked about in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, those that claim to be Jews but are not are of the synagogue of Satan. Is that the same thing? Is that referring to people today claiming to be Jews? Okay. Actually, no, it's not. It's not the same thing. So let me answer the question here. In Revelation 2 verse 9, it states this. He's talking to the church of um, Smyrna here. He says, Smyrna, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews. Now remember, this, this is why I wanted to answer the previous question first. Because John's writing letters from Jesus Christ to these churches. It's a specific message. So in other words, this is Jesus saying, I know the works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews, this is 2,000 years ago, and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Okay. So the synagogue of Satan is mentioned twice in Revelation. 
once in Jesus' letter to the first century church, Smyrna, and then once to the church in Revelation 3 to the Philadelphia church. In both cases, the synagogue of Satan is opposed to the mission and the message of the church. So to the church in Smyrna, Jesus says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. In other words, I, I, I know about the, and, well, and I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. That's Revelation 2.9. So to the church of Philadelphia in Asia Minor, Jesus said, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews and are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. That's Revelation 3.9. So in short, the, uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to answer this. The, uh, I was thinking about it up at my desk. In short, the, the synagogue of Satan was a group of believing Jews who were persecuting Christians. These groups were guilty of slandering the church in Smyrna and opposing the church in Philadelphia in some way or another. So the majority of the persecution, if you remember, go back to the New Testament and, do, and go back to history. The majority of the persecution that the New, the New Testament church faced came from the Jewish community. Even most of the Roman persecution was an effort to appease the Jewish authorities. Um, th that's true of Pilate's condemnation of Jesus. Remember in uh, John 19, 1-6. And Paul's imprisonment by the Roman governors of Felix and Festus. So this pattern held true throughout the Roman world in the first century. So as long as Christians were considered a sect of Judaism, they were exempt from the required observance of certain aspects of Roman state religion. So, however, as Christians were expelled from synagogues and denounced by the Jewish leadership, Rome began to see Christianity as a new religion that did not have these same exemptions. And therefore, Christians outside the protective umbrella of the synagogue were open to Roman persecution. So the synagogue of Satan, let's get back to that. The synagogue of Satan, that they say they are Jews, the people of God, and they persecute those who believe in Jesus, the Messiah, the true people of God. So in reality, by rejecting the Jewish Messiah, they have renounced their status as true Jews. And, now remember, this is 2,000 years ago, okay? And that is why Jesus calls them liars. So I know I'm coming up to a break. I'm going to hold right here because I want to make sure I might go back up. Uh, I might back up on you here a little bit just to make sure you get this because I know I'm cutting this answer in half. But it's very important. A lot of people try to tie a lot of that into like George Soros and the Rothschilds and all this stuff. But I simply don't want to do that. So I want to make sure you get this because it's very important about the synagogue of Satan. So, yeah, we'll get to it right when we get back and make sure you get it. The End Time Show, you're getting early access to Christmas deals starting right now. Do you remember that feeling you had as a kid during the holidays? What experiences and gifts would you receive this year? 
Well, the atmosphere at End Time is nearly the same. We're excited because these deals are now available through the end of 2023. Why are we so thrilled? Because we know these resources transform lives and that's even more fun than Christmas, especially in these tough times. For the remainder of 2023, you can get deals like a special VIP group video call with Dave Robbins when you get Understanding the End Time. End Time Plus subscription for 50% off, or my personal favorite, a $10 and under sale for almost 100 different products featuring Irvin Baxter, Dave Robbins, and more. Go to endtime.com deals for a full catalog of items. You can also call 800-END-TIME. Hurry, supplies are limited. Go to endtime.com deals today. What if you could understand Bible prophecy? Dave Robbins, the host of the End Time Show's TV and radio programs, is holding a free prophecy conference near you. Gain peace and understanding about what the Bible says concerning End Time prophecy. Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com slash events to see when Dave will be in a location near you. Okay, now, now you understand why I wanted to go through some of these questions today, because when's the last time you heard somebody explain question three here about those that say they're Jews and they're not and get into the synagogue of Satan? And so when I was going through and putting this together, I thought, man, I've got to go through some of this on the air because this is awesome stuff. And it clears up a lot of questions that people have. So when we're talking about the synagogue of Satan, or they, they say they are Jews, the people of God, and they persecute those who believe in Jesus the Messiah, the true people of God, in reality, by rejecting the Jewish Messiah. Because remember, we're talking to church, Jesus is talking to churches here, people who had been born again. Smyrna and Philadelphia and Thyatira, okay? So you gotta understand who we're dealing with here in Revelation 2 and 3. So in reality, rejecting the Jewish Messiah, they have renounced their status of true Jews. And that is why Jesus calls them liars. The distinction between ethnic Jews and faithful Jews is also seen in Romans 9, 6. Not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. And um, you remember uh, the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. Listen closely. He said, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. So, by their persecution of the true people of God, which is the churches in the seven churches in uh, Revelation 2 and 3, by their persecution of the true people of God, these unbelieving Jews had become a synagogue of Satan and, a, 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 or a, let's say, a gathering of people who were actually following the devil's priorities. Now, once you understand this and some of these other principles through here, the segmentation of Revelation and all these different things, it really opens up the book of Revelation. It really helps it to be understandable. 
And thank God that he has helped us to um, be able to understand some of these things because the book of Revelation is such a, uh, a, a, a rich, it's just, there's just a wealth of information and prophecy and things that will happen in the future. And if you, once you can lay it all out and understand the segmentation, the skeletal structure and the, um, the different stories leading up to the accounts of the second coming of Jesus Christ and the battle of Armageddon and everything that's involved in that book, man, it's just a, it's one of the, it's one of my favorite books in the entire Bible, the book of Revelation. But if you don't understand it, then it can be, <laughs> besides numbers or something like that, it can be one of the worst books to read. So we want you to be able to understand it, and that's why we love talking about it. Now, question number four. Um, what happened? Uh, where did these people go? And they're asking uh, about the question just prior. Uh, just like today, there are false Christians, false brethren, Satan worship in the Vatican. This is the question that's being asked. Are there people today who claim to be Jewish or Christian and or not? Well, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23 and 21 says this, or 21 through 23, it says this, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In, in thy name have we not cast out devils? And in thy name... We've done many wonderful works. These people consider themselves Christians. And the Lord says, there'll, there'll be people that will stand before me someday and confess, we were Christians. We prophesied in your name. We cast out devils in your name. We did many mighty wonderful works in your name. And the Lord's going to say, Bible, Bible says in verse 23, that I will profess unto them, I, I, I don't even know who you are. I never knew you. Depart from me ye that work iniquity. So yes, there are people on earth today that were in the same position as those that were of the synagogue of Satan in Revelation 2 and 3. They claim to be the true people of God, but they're not because they haven't aligned themselves up truly with the Word of God. And so it's very, very important that you are involved in Bible studies and churches and things that will teach you the true Word of God. Not leaving out certain passages. Don't want to be part of that. I want to go to a church that will teach me the true Word of God and without fear or favor. Because I want to go to a church that's trying to get me to heaven. That's the goal. If you're looking for a good church, Look for a church that will get you to heaven. Not one where it's just a social club. Not looking for that. There's nothing wrong with being social and having all the softball games and a youth group and all that. Nothing wrong with any of that. But if the church, if it's all about that and they're not teaching the full truth, then I got to really reconsider my situation here, right? Because it's of utmost importance. I mean, Jesus Christ was very concerned of these churches in Revelation 2 and 3. He said, hey, you've done some good things, some things you probably shouldn't have done, but let me tell you what's really going on here. And he said, there are those that were saying they were of the religious sect, and they're not. And in Revelation 3, he said, they're liars. Okay? So, 
Very important. Question number five. When is the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem? At the start of the millennial reign or after the 1,000 year reign of Jesus Christ? The, uh, the caller said, I'm confused because Revelation 21.4 says, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will, be, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. But, the caller said, there will be death during the 1,000 year reign. Though, right? Question mark. Um, Isaiah 65, I feel, points to new heavens and a new earth being during the 1,000 millennial reign. So the person is totally confused because the new heaven and new earth is mentioned all the way over in Revelation chapter 21. And so I, I wish this individual could hear how we lay out the segmentation, the stru skeletal structure and everything of the book of Revelation, because then you can understand why the new heaven and new earth is clear over in Revelation chapter 21. The, the, the book of Revelation tells things over and over and over again. And once you understand that and you realize it's not written in chronological order, then it's easy to understand about Revelation 21. So let me, let me answer the question here. In Revelation 21, verse 1, John is speaking. He says this, And I saw a new heaven, a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. So the first question comes to mind immediately. When does this happen? Does it occur during the millennial, during the millennial reign or after the great white throne judgment? Uh, I mean, you know, is the earth going to be burned up? And because the Bible talks about the elements melting with a fervent heat, what in the world's going on here? Well, it is not always easy to pinpoint when these things occur because many times in the book of Revelation we read of something and then the writer will begin a different train of thought. Many times, Revelation 12, and there's many places where it does that. So um, many, many times it's within a different time frame than a previous one because there's parenthetical chapters and different things that are happening. So this is true of this particular scripture. Revelation 20 concludes with the great white throne of judgment. And then John saw a new heaven and a new earth. So a lot of people have said, well, the new heaven and a new earth isn't coming until after the great white throne. Well, these passages are referred to in several passages of Scripture. In, in one, of the, uh, one of the passages back in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 65, uh, 17, it refers to the new heavens. A lot of um, Isaiah mentions things that will be here during the 1,000 millennial reign many times. And in Isaiah 65, 17, it teaches that the new heavens and the new earth will in fact be created at the beginning of the 1,000 year millennial reign when Jesus Christ comes back to establish his kingdom here on the earth. Uh, Isaiah 65, 17 says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. So this refers to the new heaven and the new earth that will be here during the 1,000 year reign of Jesus Christ. Then Isaiah 65, 20 says, There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die at a hundred years old. 
So lifespans will be elongated like they were back with Adam and Eve. But it says that the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. So apparently there will yet be sinners on the earth during the 1,000 year millennial reign. Isaiah 65, 25 reinforces the belief that we're talking about the millennial time here because it says the wolf and the lamb shall feed together, the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, dust shall be the serpent's meat, they shall not hurt nor destroy, in all my holy mountains, saith the Lord. So the, the new heaven and the new earth, they're established at the beginning of the 1,000 year millennial reign. And it teaches us that this is the time when the wolf and the lamb shall feed together, the lion will eat with straw, the bullock and the, oh, 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 like the bullock and the ox. Then you go back to Isaiah 11, and this is the time of the new heavens and the new earth. And Isaiah 34 also speaks of the new heavens and the new earth. It says that they will be created at the time of God's wrath. Well, the wrath of God occurs at the end of this age, as the rulership of men is put down, the battle of Armageddon is fought, and Jesus Christ is crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. And Isaiah uh, agrees with, um, it agrees with Isaiah 65. Isaiah 34, 2-4 says this, For the indignation of the Lord is upon all the nations, and His fury upon all the armies. He hath utterly destroyed them. He hath delivered them to the slaughter. Now we're talking about the battle of Armageddon here and all the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, and all their hosts shall fall down, as the leaf falleth off the vine, and as the falling fig from the fig tree." So this is speaking about the dissolving of the heavens. It, it, it's kind of going to, it's going to be similar to, it's going to be like a great reset. It's going to be like what happened after the flood. The flood brought about a, a, a total renewal and cleansing of the world. That's what this is going to be like. It was the same uh, heaven and the same earth, but it had been renovated by the wrath of God and cleansed of its iniquity. Well, it appears the same thing is true this time, only this time it will be accomplished by fire. Now, you compare this passage in Isaiah to um, Revelation 6.14. Isaiah says that the, the heavens will dissolve and, and be rolled together as a scroll. You know how you roll a scroll together? Well, uh, Revelation 6.14 says it this way, And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and islands were moved out of their places. So you can see what's going on here. It's at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ when there's going to be a great reset in the earth just like they had in the flood all the way back in at the time of Noah. There was a reset or a renovation of the earth. A voice spoke to me and said, I've got something I want to show you. I was so sure God had talked to me and I was stunned by what I saw. A direct fulfillment of this over 2,500-year-old prophecy. The United States will stand with Israel. Why haven't I ever seen this before? One-third of humanity will die. What do these beasts symbolize? The lion, the bear, the leopard. 
The combined beast from Revelation 13 represents the end-time government of the Antichrist. Understanding the end time. Now streaming on End Time Plus and available to order at endtime.com slash UET. Go to endtime.com slash UET or call 800 Endtime. They that understand what is taking place will instruct many. Except a man is born again, he can enter or see the kingdom of God. I don't care what label you've been given or what label you've given yourself, you are essential. You still matter. This is a journey, and when we get to the other side of that, that's where our prize is, that's where our reward is. End time is not going anywhere. So you can see here that the, this great reset here, that the, the new heavens and the new earth, that's going, to be ha that's going to happen at the Battle of Armageddon, the second coming of Jesus Christ. In 2 Peter 3, the Apostle Peter describes the day of the Lord. The term, the day of the Lord, is used repeatedly to speak of the time of the wrath of God. Uh, 2 Peter 3, 10-13, it speaks of it kind of like this. It says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God? wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. So, I could spend more time here and, and prove that that will be, the, the elements melting with a fervent heat is the, we believe that it's the nuclear weapons that will be used at the Battle of Armageddon. I know that's when this occurs, but the entire earth is not burned up because it's going to be here for another thousand years. So the Bible says in the book of Zechariah that these are the plagues with which I will um, come against them that come against Israel to battle, the armies. And the Bible says that their skin will consume all their body, the tongues will consume in their mouth, their eyes and their sockets. It's the exact same thing that happened at the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Nuclear weapons will be used at the Battle of Armageddon and it appears that's what Peter was referring to here when he says the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Okay, uh, question number six. Uh, the, in, the caller said, I know a well-known and highly respected prophecy teacher who adamantly feels the two witnesses are prophesying during the first three and one half years of the final seven years and that the Antichrist kills them at the midway point at the beginning of the three and one half year reign 
And this individual teaches that the seventh trumpet occurs at the midway point as well. Why do you guys teach it differently? Okay, uh, so there's a couple reasons. First, in Revelation 10, 5 through 6, you understand the, the, what's going on here in the book of Revelation. We're going through the second account of the, the we're going through the trumpets, and we're going, it's the second account of the coming of the Lord in the battle of Armageddon. So you have the first, second, third, fourth, fifth trumpet. The sixth is in, at the end of Revelation 9. Then in 10, you have an account where it says, delay shall be no longer, and then you go into 11, and it describes the final events that occurred during the final three and one half years. Unless you understand the, uh, this account, then you're going to be stuck when you're trying to figure this out. So, in the sixth trumpet happens in Revelation 9, verse 13 through 21. Then you go over into Revelation 10, and in 10, verse 5 and 6, it says this, And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven. And I saw by him, that, and I swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are therein, and the earth and the things that are therein are, and the sea and the things that therein are, that there should be time no longer. Now, what does this mean? Is it at the end of everything? Is it at the end of the, is it after the great white throne judgment? So we got to consider what it means, there shall be time no longer. And is that actually portraying the end of the world? Well, no, it's not. We know that time will go on for another thousand years. So in the original translation, it says there will be delay no longer. So it's a time for the acceleration of events, and it's a time for the end of all things. And the Bible says, as the angel stood one foot on the land, one foot on the sea, he raised his hand to heaven and declared that there would be delay no longer. The time for the culmination of all things has come. Uh, the Bible says in Revelation 16, it is finished, or it is done. And right here, we're ready to move on to the unveiling of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's only a little bit of time left. So you say, well, how in the world do you know that? Well, just like any topic in the Bible that you're studying, you have to look at all of the verses that pertain to that topic, right? So there's another passage that depicts this same declaration, and it's found all the way back in Daniel chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. It's, it's interesting to see the additional information given in Daniel. If you're just trying to figure it out going to Revelation, you're going to get a little stuck. But if you go back to and get the additional nuggets of truth back in Daniel, it really helps to figure it out. So Daniel 12, 6-7 says, And one said to the man clothed in linen, it's going to be the same uh, vision here, or very similar. And one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the, water, the waters of the river, How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever, that it shall be for time, times, and half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. It's the same thing, Revelation 12 and 
I'm sorry, Revelation 10 and Daniel 12. So when you see the phrase time, times, and half a time in Scripture, it's always referring to three and one half years. A times one year, uh, times is two years, and a half a time is one half of a year. So it's very easy to see how we can understand that because the Bible teaches that the little horn made war against the woman for time, times, and half a time. So in Revelation 12, it says the dragon made war against the woman for 1260 days. Revelation 11:2 it says, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot for 42 months. So the 42 months, 1260 days, uh, and time, times, and half a time, or three and one half years, is the exact same period of time. It appears that this occurs, that Revelation chapter 10, 5 and 6 occurs three and one half years before the final appearance of our Lord or during the final, or the, at the beginning of the final three and one half years. Then when you go to Revelation 11:3, and you get into the two witnesses, which is what the question was all about, but you've got to understand the backstory of all of this and these prophecies or you get stuck here. Then when you go to Revelation 3 and it talks about the two witnesses and how do we know that they prophesied during the final three and one half years? Because Revelation chapter 11 are events that occurred during the final three and one half year period. Revelation 11.3 says, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days, clothed in sackcloth. Revelation 11.7-15 talks about, their, uh, talks about um, the end of their ministry. So if you want to read the entire account, it's Revelation 11.3 all the way down through 15. But verses 7-15 through 15 says this, Tell us at the, it tells us at the end of their ministry that the Antichrist and his world governing system is going to kill them. Uh, and the Bible says when they have completed their ministry at the end of it, that they, if they're going to be killed, they're going to lay in the streets for three and one half days. They will then be resurrected from the dead and called up into heaven. This is the rapture. Scripture says, in that same hour there was a great earthquake. And then verse 17 says, and the seventh angel sounded, this is the last trump, and there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. So it's right here at the time of the rapture, which means that the 1260 days, the, the length of the time of the two witnesses ministry was the three and a half years just prior to the rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ. So it's the final three and one half years, not the first three and one half years, when the two witnesses ministry will occur. Question number seven. Uh, and I'm going to have to really move to get this one done. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 through 17, the war in heaven. Verse 10 is a little confusing. Can you guys help me ex uh, explain this? Well, so you understand there's a war in heaven in Revelation chapter uh, 12. After Satan is permanently kicked out of heaven, verse 10 says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before their God day and night. And so since this happens at the midway point of the final seven years, 
we know Jesus returns to reign on the earth in Jerusalem at the end of the final seven years. What does this verse imply, and is this happening in heaven? Well, you got to understand what Satan's role is. I mean, Satan has been the accuser of the brethren from the beginning of the human race, and he's going to continue until three and one half years before the battle of Armageddon and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Revelation 12:10 says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now has come salvation, strength, kingdom of our God, the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. So Satan's main job is to accuse you and me and to bring guilt and condemnation to us. That's what sin does. You, you sin, and, you, and if you have a conscience, oh, man, I feel horrible. Satan's been doing that for 6,000 years. However, he's going to be cast down in the near future and confined to the earth for the final three and one half years. So what are we talking about here? Well, we can overcome Satan. During the 6,000 years of human history, uh, under the heat of the accuser of the brethren, Satan himself, the Bible says, and they overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. We have two weapons, a defensive weapon and an offensive weapon. The blood is our defensive weapon. There's nothing Satan can, can inflict upon you and me. The blood of Jesus Christ cannot eradicate. And also your testimony is your offensive weapon. You can go into Satan's kingdom and pull people out of that using your testimony, get them born again, and put them in the kingdom of God. It's an offensive weapon. So they overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. That's what these scriptures are referring to here. And so, very, very important. Satan has no power over you. You have the power to overcome him by what Jesus Christ did on Calvary. And so, I hope you've gleaned from these questions today, the Q and answer. And we'll do more of these in the near future. There are so many great questions coming in we all need to know about, right? God bless each and every one of you, and thank you for joining me on this edition of The End Time Show.